Amen. Good morning. Good morning. I know this is going to be a tough day, y'all. It's raining outside. It's a little chilly. And it's not chilly enough for this time of year, so we turn the airway down so you feel like it's fall when you come here. That's how we have to, that's how we create fall in Texas is with air conditioner. All right? Is anybody not from Texas? Let's get a show of hands. Well, there we go. We got, there we go. Oh, hi. Okay. John, where are you from? Tennessee. Oh, oh, Tennessee. Tennessee. Mexico in the house. What's up? Okay. Cool. All right. So, Book of Philippians. Go there quickly. Hey, and let's just, let's just, for just a second, can I just complain about you for a minute? I love you. But why do y'all sit so far back? I put on deodorant every single day. I comb my hair. I ask my wife if I'm okay before I leave the house. And she always gives me a good to go. Now, either she's lying or y'all need to scoot up. One of the two. Or I'm going to come to you. I just got to come to you today. I'm going to do this with coffee on the stand, y'all. Come on. That's talent. Y'all didn't know I was that good. All right. Is that all right? This is so much better. See, this is how it should be all the time. So if y'all would just scoot forward next time, we won't have to, I won't have to show you my mad balancing skill. All right, Philippians chapter 2. So I feel like last week was, last week was heavy, wasn't it? Right? Maybe not. It was, felt that way to me. <laughs> um, we got into some, uh, some deeper stuff, which is good. We really, uh, and I, I man, I, anytime that we take these detours, um, and and the Lord puts a detour just kind of in my heart. I uh, I want to I want to take the time to do that. And that was kind of what last week was. I say a detour. Uh, it, we were we are obviously and have for the last seven weeks. This is our seventh week in this series. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the cross and really trying to reframe our picture of what actually happened on uh, on the cross. And we've looked at things historically. Uh, we've looked at things, obviously, biblically. We've looked at the narrative of the Old Testament. And last week, uh, what we did is we looked at, okay, historically, what is the cross? I mean, think about the, the reality that Jesus could have died at any point in any culture, right? I mean, that, that God, we, we have to believe that God uh, ordained a time, an exact moment that he would, would uh, allow Jesus to be crucified uh, and then to be raised from the dead. And Jesus picked this very specific culture, this very specific way that he would die uh, for a reason. So what, it, what, is that, uh, what is that historical setting? So last week we talked about uh, what the cross was. And in Philippians chapter 2, I don't know if you had a chance to go back over this in life group or not. I hope so. But we looked at the progression of the, let's call it the, like the loss of, uh, of his uh, humanity. But let, let's just read this. So um, let's start in... Let's start in verse 6. It's talking about Jesus. It says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So we, we talked about that's kind of level one, right? That's that first reduction, right? He's, he's equal with God. I mean, we're not just talking about some average Joe, right? This is, this is God, and he doesn't count equality with God as something to be held on to, right? It says, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, right? That's, that word is important, right? Because that's not, he didn't take the form of a king. 
He didn't take the form of some elite in culture. It says that he first God became man, not just man, but he became a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Then, being found in human form, he what? Humbled himself. You see it? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. All of this is so completely scandalous, right? If we just were to stop right there, we just think about the progression that's just happened. God became man, not just man. God became a servant of men and then humbled himself to death. That is shocking and absurd, okay? And then the writer uh, here of Philippians, Paul says, even, you see it in, in verse 8? Even death on a cross. So right here we start to get an idea of the viewpoint of what is the cross. I mean, just historically, as the New Testament writers considered the cross, what did they see? He, he reduced, he says, okay, he died, but he didn't just die. He died on a cross. It's this, it's this greater, deeper level of shame and humiliation. You see it? Even death on a cross. So we talked about what is, what is the cross in its historical setting. I mean, what would this, uh, what would this have looked like? Well, we, uh, we, we mentioned that about 100 years uh, before Jesus' uh, life, there was a massive uh, revolt. And the, again, the point of the cross, we talked about last week, the point of the cross was absolute humiliation and shame. It was, it was Rome's way of exerting its power to belittle and squelch any rebellion, right? So make you small in order that n- nothing would come uh, against the power of Rome. So that was the idea. They were just, it was just a flaunting of power and humiliation in order to say, this is how powerful we are. So about 100 years before Jesus, there was a massive slave re- revolt. And they crucified 6,000 people, 6,000 people. And they lined them up on crosses uh, on a major road into Rome. And, and scholars say that, and historians say that that would have equaled like a cross every 40 yards, right? So the cross is also a place we looked at that, that you, don't, you don't die quickly, that you die slowly. We even, we even looked uh, at, at, uh, at research that has told us that, that people have, come off of the cross and live that's how slowly you die is that after multiple hours and days you come off the cross and still live you essentially just over elongated period of time you suffocate and you and you die the cross was a place of humiliation for slaves and rebels and uh, and then Jesus obviously dies on the cross and then uh, not long after Jesus there's another uh, revolt this time involving uh, the Jewish people uh, revolting against Rome, and 2,000 Jews are crucified. So those are the things that bookend Jesus' death on the cross. And so we know now culturally, and I don't, I'm not going to do this all again, it's an excruciating place to die. It's a place of humiliation. It's a place of shame. And it's a place where the power at B was saying that we are all powerful. That's the place where Jesus died. So then we went, to, uh, we went into the, to the scriptures and looked at the place where Jesus says to his disciples, and it's just, it, blew, it just really uh, stopped me a few weeks ago studying this, where Jesus says, if you want to come after me, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I read that, I think probably for the first time uh, a few weeks ago. I've read that. We've heard that. But after 
in detail studying what the cross is. And I've always heard it spiritualized, man. I've always heard, like, take up your cross. What does that mean? Well, that means you're going to have to go through hard things. And, like, I, I've always kind of heard it spiritualized. I've never heard it in the context of what the cross was. And so we talked about that last week. And I felt like we left it in a place that we needed to come back. Okay? So we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit more um, this week. And I want to give a little bit more context uh, to that conversation. And I want to press in there a little bit more. I had some questions. And uh, my... From what I've heard, we've had some great dialogue around the subject. So go to the book of Mark. We're going to look at uh, this story in the book of Mark this morning, uh, the eighth chapter. We've got a lot to get through today. We'll see what we make, and then we'll see if... My hope is to get into Romans a little bit next week, zoom back out and and look at uh, how the book of Romans talks about uh, Jesus' death and our salvation and... uh, And so I'm hoping that we can do that next week. We'll see how far we get, okay? Mark chapter 8. Okay, so here's kind of the precursor to this this story. I want to read it because I think it's really important. Um, So Jesus is having this, well, let's just read it. Um, In verse 31, y'all good? Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Let's let's read. This is is kind of the introduction to when uh, the context when Jesus is going to say, take up your cross. It says, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this, how, what, how did he say it? Plainly, right? means it was not hard. He was, he was explicitly telling them these facts, that the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders uh, and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Now, Peter, here's what he does. And Peter took him aside and began to, what's the word? <laughs> what? <laughs> right? Rebuke you. Yeah, okay, so we got a problem. So, right? <laughs> so Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. Well, think about what Jesus just said. Think about the affection that Peter has for Jesus. Think about the relationship and the friendship and what Jesus has just said. Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him, right? But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Jesus rebukes Peter. This is verse 33 and said, get behind me, Satan. Now listen to, we always go, <gasps> right? Can't believe Jesus said that, right? Get behind me, Satan. Listen to his criticism of Peter. What does he say? For you are not setting your what? mind on the things of God, but, let's fill in the fill in, but you're setting your mind on what? The things of man. Okay, you see the criticism here, okay? That's the context. Now, we need to stop and ask what in the world's going on there. What is Jesus correcting? What has Jesus just said? He's just told them about his need to be crucified. He's just told them, this is what must happen. The Son of Man must suffer, be crucified, and raised on the third day. Now, the only possible way, because what does the scripture tell us that the cross is? It's foolishness, right, to those who are perishing. Did this plan make a lot of sense? Where does that, where does, Jesus delivers that plan to his disciples. Where does that go in their brain? If you just put that into logic, where does that go in their brain? That's dumb, right? (laughs) Right? And we're, we're, we're tracking with Peter. Like, if, if he hears that, he's going, no, 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 this is a really bad way to do what I know you want to accomplish. You're talking about the kingdom coming, and, and there's a better way to do this. So Peter takes what is 
God's, what's the truth according to God, what's God's way, what is God's wisdom, Peter takes it, he puts it into his own logic, it doesn't agree with his logic, he grabs Jesus and says, bro, we can do this a different way. And what does Jesus correct him and say? Your mind is not in the right place. You're thinking according to the way that man thinks, and this doesn't work that way. The kingdom of heaven doesn't advance according to man's reality. It advances according to God. According to God's wisdom, according to God's power, according to God's authority. If you're going to come along in this plan, if you're going to be part of this, you're going to have to start thinking in alignment with the kingdom of heaven. And stop reasoning like a man, right? That's his correction of Peter. Now, listen, he corrects his worldview. You got it? So he's shaking Peter out of this, this man-thinking worldview. And then he says, look, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, who he's just rebuked, right? He's just talked to them about setting their mind on the things of God. Then he says, okay, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." Okay, so what Jesus presents is he presents now an invitation. And it's an absurd invitation. Because remember, they didn't hear that and go, oh, Jesus said take up our cross. That means maybe some, we're going to do some hard things. We might fail a test once in a while. They heard the cross right in the middle of the reality of what the cross was in Rome. They didn't spiritualize it. They didn't take it as a metaphor, right? It's likely that they would not have to travel far to hear someone crying out on an actual cross in the midst of their suffering. It would be like us having the, this, this conversation. If It would be like me saying, you got to take up your cross, like a block from where someone's about to go to the electric chair. And me say to you, take up the electric chair. You wouldn't make it a metaphor. We wouldn't have to travel far to see someone suffer in that very place. Jesus told them something that was extremely concrete. It was a reality that they had seen and experienced. They knew the smells. They knew the sights. They knew the sounds. It was a reality that they knew well. And he says, if anyone. Here's the good thing. He says, if. It's an invitation. It's not a demand. If anyone would come after me. Let's look through what he's saying here. Because this is a huge deal. When he uses that word, deny himself, take up his cross, he draws a pretty serious line in the sand, and I want to look at it, okay? So, he says, if anyone would come after me. First of all, it's an invitation, okay? Know that it's an invitation. You're being invited to follow Jesus. But, it's an invitation with conditions, 
This is absolutely an invitation, but it's an invitation that has conditions. What are those conditions? Well, there's three of them. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross. And you have to follow Jesus. Those are the three conditions. It also has reward. And he goes, and, and the, his statements that begin with four uh, are, are the reward statements. And, and what, is the, what is the benefit, what is the fruit of uh, following this invitation? And we're going to try to get to that today, but let's look at what the conditions are first. First of all, he says, deny yourself. Now, if, if we haven't heard his words in verse 31 and following, if, if we misplace this conversation or if we lose the context that occurred before where Jesus corrects Peter's worldview, then we can very easily make this a self-help kind of invitation. Deny myself, okay, just don't do, do, thing, don't do things I don't want to do, right? Or do, I do want to do. That's what deny myself means. But what is what has he already told them? He's already told them that if you're going to get this, you've got you've to have a kingdom viewpoint. He's already told them your way of thinking has to be totally reset. This is very similar to the conversation he had with Nicodemus. When Nicodemus is questioning him about, uh, about how to be born again, and he's trying to figure it out, and Jesus says, it's not, no, it doesn't work that way. I'm not talking about things in human terms. You have to think like the kingdom of heaven. And, and Jesus is reworking their kingdom viewpoint. So what does denial of self uh, look like according to the kingdom? How do we deny ourselves? How many of you know that that's impossible? I mean, think about it. How could you, in and of yourself, deny yourself? Think about your humanity. How do you deny it with your own humanity? Is that really denying yourself or not? Or is that just feeding it in a different way? Right? The good behavior gospel says that denying yourself is just not doing bad things and doing good things. But if we're really to take Jesus at his word here, if we're really to understand the true invitation of deny myself, we have to be met with the reality that that is an impossible act. I cannot in and of myself deny myself. How is it possible? How can me deny me? What's it going to take? In order to deny myself, it's going to take something else, someone else working on my behalf. The denial of self is not an action that is possible absent the work of the grace of God via the Holy Spirit. We cannot deny ourselves by trying to deny ourselves. You hear me? To hear those words of Jesus, to deny myself, is to then immediately necessitate the action of depending on the grace of God and the provision of the Holy Spirit in order to, in order to recognize my own selfish desires and deny them. Because to deny myself, I'm going to have to accept something else. And what is that? The work of the Holy Spirit. I can't deny myself only to gratify myself. I haven't denied myself at all, have I? I've tricked myself. I've gone, woohoo, I performed really, really, really well, and I'm still performing, right? To deny myself is a work of the Holy Spirit uh, that, that is made possible 
by the grace of God. He then says to take up our cross. Now again, we can't spiritualize this. I would really caution you against any metaphorical understanding of what take up my cross means. Uh, again, I know that, that that's, that's, I've heard it preached a ton, uh, that we tie it to maybe suffering in our lives or, uh, or other hard things that we will experience. I want to caution you against that just because that is, from Jesus' mouth, that is planted so firmly in a, in a, uh, in a reality of what that culture was experiencing. He did not intend for it to be a metaphor. Okay? They wouldn't have heard it as a metaphor. What would they have heard it? What would it mean? What, is it, what does it say right in the middle of that context? This is about a surrender of a value system. He just said, and these, all these things go together, he just said, deny myself. Deny myself and take up my cross is to, to go to the cross, let me say this, to go to the cross is an absolute denial of everything that is, that is deemed valuable according to man. Right? To go to the cross, that physical going to the cross is to, number one, physically deny my health. It's to surrender to the worst possible death. There's no dignity in it. Even in a physical death, there's absolutely no dignity. It's a complete surrender physically. But the cross was also a place of shame and humiliation. To be on the cross was to say that you were nobody. All of your human dignity was stripped completely away. You were beaten and mocked before you even got there. Not because it assisted in your death, but to his shame and humiliate you more. And then you were hung on a tree and mocked further as you died over a long period of time. It was the lowest point of human existence. Physically and maybe the right word is in reputation. Socially. You were seen as nothing. To take up a cross is a total surrender of value system. It is to voluntary. Remember, he says, take up your cross. What is it? It's a voluntary act. You see it? Deny myself, take up my cross. Not have somebody put it on you. Not, not deny myself and I'll force you to take a cross, to deny myself and take up my cross. What is that going to require of us? It's going to require of us the work of the Holy Spirit because that's an impossible thing to surrender uh, all that is valuable in terms of man and pick up everything that is not. You see it? We tracking a little bit? It's to become a rebel and an outcast and a slave. It's the lowest point of human existence. Why in the world would we take it up as a voluntary act. Well, let me just tell you again, this makes no sense according to human reason. What Jesus is putting on the table is not something you're going to go, oh, that sounds nice. Right? First of all, I love this deny myself thing. Right? What have we talked about for weeks? What is sin? It's the idolatry of self. It's the exaltation of self 
to the place of being God. It is idolatry of self. And Jesus is telling us, deny that and then voluntarily take up my cross. Are you beginning to see why the New Testament writers say it's foolishness? It's foolishness to those who are perishing. What's it going to take for us to go, okay, yeah, I'm going to follow you in that way? You see how deep of a line in the sand Jesus is drawing? What's it going to take for us to go, yes, it's going to take a different viewpoint? That's why his conversation with Peter is so vital. Do you see why? He's changing their value system. He's saying, Peter, don't look at things according to man. Look at things according to the truth of God. Look at things according to the kingdom. Now, here's the deal. Everything he's going to say on the back end of this that is the incentives are kingdom incentives for taking up your cross. He's not going to offer anything here that is beneficial in human terms. But to take Jesus at his word and say, okay, I'm going to take up my cross is to see something greater than what the world has to offer. Are y'all with me? Are we tracking through? I just need to, I need to just like pulse check here, okay? Our whole worldview has to be reworked to see the value of losing all things important to man and gaining all things Jesus. Do y'all see that? You're not going to see that if you just ask your flesh. You're not going to see that if you just ask self. Because you know what yourself is going to do the moment you start to talk about denying it? What's going to do? Nope, not a good idea. Right? It's going to take seeing something valuable beyond what is human, beyond what is in the value system of man in order to, to do what Jesus is asking us to do. So it's a voluntary act. Now, how do we do this? Okay, Galatians chapter 5. Let's get into some concrete stuff. I feel like I've left you in example land. Go to Galatians 5. I'm going to try to make this practical. I think that was one of my deepest frustrations growing up, is that I would hear all these spiritual concepts, but nobody made it practical. It's like, how do I, but how, but how do I, you keep saying, but how, right? And I, no, anyway, so I'm going to try and give you the how. What does it actually look like? Well, in order to take up our cross as a voluntary act, we must deny ourselves. So what self are we talking about? Uh, John Piper talks about, that when he, he talks about this passage, he, he talks about the battle of selves. I thought that was a good, uh, a good way of putting it. Uh, but look at Galatians chapter 5. Let's look at this battle of selves. Verse 16. But I say, what's the phrase? Walk by the... Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Look, here, here you go. So he gives us the solution, right? And, and then he tells us a little bit about the problem. For the desires of the flesh are what? Complementary? There it is. Contrary against, okay? The desires of the flesh are against. Against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are friendly with one another. Oh, there you go, you got it again. Opposed to one another, you see it. There's no friendly relations here between spirit, capital S, and flesh. They don't agree. 
They're opposed to each other. They're against each other. You see the, the contradicting viewpoints here. What rose up in Peter when Jesus was saying, I must be crucified, right? What did he say? No, 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 no. What rose up in him? His flesh. And Jesus said, stop, you're reasoning in the wrong way. You're reasoning according to your flesh, not according to the Spirit. You've got to think differently, okay? So when Jesus then says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, he's saying this very thing. To deny myself, which self? The self that is ruled by self, your flesh. You, your desires. The, the scripture calls them carnal desires. Now, the good news is, Paul doesn't just tell us, hey, your flesh and spirit are against one another. Good luck solving it. What does he say? How do I not gratify the desires of the flesh? It's pretty simple. He lays it out. Walk by the Spirit. It doesn't seem too complicated here. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. So what is the solution to not... to? How do we then... Let me rephrase it. How do we then deny self? Come on. Walk by the Spirit. You got to see this. To walk by the Spirit is to view things according to whose viewpoint? His. The Scripture tells us that the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of God, searches all things, knows God completely, is God, and reveals them to us. You see it? That's why I said to deny ourselves is a work that is impossible for us to do on our own. I can't, with my flesh deny myself. I have to have something else working on my behalf. And it is the Spirit of God, which has been given as a gift by the grace of God. And if I walk by the Spirit, I'll deny my flesh. Right? And then the last thing that he says, the terms of this, if anyone would come after me. He must deny himself. He must take up his cross. It's a voluntary act. And he must follow Jesus. Now, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty decent on time. I want to linger back. Let me just move back. Y'all got me all messed up. I put this up here and now I'm down there. Okay, is this okay? Everybody can see? I'll move it for the screen. Let's talk a little bit more about this flesh spirit thing. Okay. This is the relationship he talks about in, in Galatians 5, the flesh and the spirit, right? I write in all caps, but important, this is a capital S spirit. The spirit of God that is in us is opposed to our flesh. What is our flesh? This is the I. Right? This is us. Okay? And in our flesh, uh, we've got our physical, this includes our physical and our soul. Okay? That's in, the, that's in the flesh. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And, our, and our, then we have our physical body. These two together is what is the flesh. Okay? You got it? This is my human nature. This is my five senses. Y'all tracking? Okay? 
absent the Spirit of God in my life, when I don't know Him, this is all I have. This is what I'm governed by. This is why sin rules and dominates me, because I am the God of my life. The Spirit of God has been displaced from His throne in me, and it's in, without the work of the cross to reestablish God as the center and presence of my life, sin is what I live in. It's what we've been talking about for seven weeks. Okay? I won't go back to sin. Don't worry. Everybody breathe. Okay. Now, the will is part of the soul, but I'm going to put it here because the will is this amazing thing that God has given us. It is part of our humanity. It's part of who we are. And it is, the will is how we choose. It's our choosing mechanism. Okay? Now, the will, though, it's really important that you understand this. The will only chooses based on data. The will is, we'll say it's logical. Okay? We just have to figure out which logic the will is going to operate under. Okay? Y'all tracking? So the, what the will is going to do is the will is going to take information, and based on information, it's going to make a decision. The will is how you make every decision that you make. It's an act of your will. Okay? Now, the flesh and the spirit are opposed to one another because who is the spirit wanting to glorify? There it is. God, and it sees things according to the kingdom. The flesh glorifies self and sees things according to man. These arrows are getting sloppy. Okay. Y'all got it? Both of these things, the war is both of these things are trying to influence the will. Your flesh is taking in data that says, what do you think? How do you feel? What's best for you? Right? Paul would tell us that we were a slave to this before Christ Jesus. We were a slave to, he uses the phrase, our passions and desires. That's the manifestation of our flesh, and the flesh is always self-seeking. That's what God created it to do. It, God created our flesh to defend ourselves and to go after things that make us happy. That's what the flesh is, is there for. But when it exists independent of God, it only serves self. You got it? You got it? You remember that life? dominated by your own passions and desires. You were enslaved to it. I do what I want to do because I'm God and I'm going to feed that monster. Okay? The Spirit of God is an influence in a different direction. The Spirit of God is not a slave to your circumstances. The Spirit of God is revealing to you the truths of God and the way in which the kingdom works. And to walk in the Spirit is to choose to to choose to live, now this is an operation of faith, but it's to choose to live according to the reality of the kingdom of God by the power of the Spirit of God. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. You with me? And if I walk in the Spirit, because these are opposed to each other, I won't gratify the desires of my flesh. Why? Because if I'm walking according to the Spirit, then who am I glorifying? God, it's impossible to glorify self and God at the same time. Impossible. So if, Paul says, the solution to your selfishness is not a self-help book. It's not for you to get yourself cleaned up and behave better. What is that doing? That's saying I can fix this problem right here. And I can't. The solution is simple. Now we have to practice, and practicing it is called discipleship. 
But the solution is simple. Just walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, I won't gratify the desires of my flesh. How could I? If the Spirit of God is the one that is dictating my life. Now, I don't mean when I say walk by the Spirit that we wait around and tell the Spirit of God to tell us everything that we're supposed to do. That's not what that means. I didn't wake up this morning and meditate. I'm, I'm not making fun. I didn't wake up this morning and meditate and go, what should I wear? And wait for the Spirit of God to reveal to me what I should wear. I didn't do that. I told you this before, but it, hopefully what I'm wearing is not offensive to you. Some of you are like, that really is offensive. It looks terrible, right? But what, if I, listen, I really saw this the other day. It blew my mind. There was, there was a dude uh, in, in this grocery store wearing a shirt, F word, right on the front of the shirt, as big as life. And I wanted to just go, wow, that's a bold decision. Yeah, I wanted to talk to him. I didn't. But here's the deal. Why am I not wearing that shirt? If I pull that shirt out of my closet and I, and I, and I put it on, I look at it, what's going to happen? It's this thing called conviction. I'm going to go, uh, 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 uh. I didn't have to ask the Holy Spirit whether to wear plaid or the F word. Okay? Right? You with me? Because he's so transformed my character that in my mind I'm thinking about what honors and glorifies God even in the things that I wear. Why? Because the Spirit of God has worked on me in such a way that my will is going to naturally conform to the things of the Spirit of God. That's the process of discipleship and maturity as a believer. He doesn't micromanage my life. He redefines my personhood that I glorify him in everything that I do. You with me? That's walking in the Spirit. And there are times where he says, hey, put that on. Right? There are times where he interrupts my life and says, hey, hey, Kendall, 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 go go talk to her. Go pray for him. Don't wear that. Put something else on. Drive to this place. I can tell you distinct stories where the Spirit of God is interrupted and micromanaged, but that's not the norm. Right? Right? So I have to be open and available to that, but I also am being redefined into the person of Jesus on the inside and so that my decisions are naturally aligned. That's walking in the Spirit. And to do that, it, it, it transforms the way that I think, the way that I view things. So to deny myself and pick up the cross is this. You with me? Think how good? I hope you're excited, man. This is practical. Like, you can get up in the morning and do this. Okay, so what are the incentives? This is what's so great. This, Jesus doesn't just say, here's all, the, here's all this hard stuff. He says, and here's the bonus. Now, what I love about the bonus is it would not be attractive to our humanity. Right? The bonus isn't attractive to our man. What would be attractive to our humanity? Pick up your cross and follow me, and you'll get rich. The line would be long, right? People would be willing to suffer for something that they could see that immediately pays dividends for them. That's not what he's saying, right? Here's what he says. All right, we're going to try to do this. Y'all ready? Y'all are ready. Here's the incentives. Now, this is what's cool. Here's what you need to do. You need to read these incentives. If you have time, I want you to read these incentives again. Like when you go home and read them next to... Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew 5 through 7 is the what? Sermon on the Mount. It's where Jesus is teaching how to live according to the kingdom. Right? 
if you read these incentives next to the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to go, whoa, that's the same thing. <laughs> he's, re- he's teaching that again in a different way, okay? I love it. So, first thing he says. Oh, i got to get in Mark. Okay, Mark chapter 8. Let's look at verse uh, verse 35. That's where, that's where it starts. For whoever, this is an incentive, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What's the offer? Life. Come on, do you see that? It's life via death, and it's why it's not attractive. <laughs> but what does he say? Okay, if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And I didn't get to get into it a bunch, but follow me is important. Me is super important. You can't deny yourself, take up your cross and follow somebody else. It must be Jesus or this all breaks down, okay? I didn't get to spend time on that because I wanted to get to these incentives. But he says, if you'll deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, then you'll have life. What does he say in John chapter 10, verse 10? I have come that you would have life. Yeah, there it is. You've got to finish the sentence and have it abundantly to the fullest measure. Not life that is defined by what man believes life is, but life as it was created to be enjoyed by and lived by God. The author of life is offering you life abundant. It's a sweet deal regardless of what it costs. Come on. We're trying to define life in a lot of different ways. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. I came that you would have actual life and have it abundantly. So that's the first thing. That's the first incentive is that we gain life. Okay, the next one. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now, it's important that we understand what our soul is. Okay, we just talked about it a little bit here. But our soul, so... If you, if you think back to Genesis, God creates Adam out of the dust of the ground. He breathes life into his nostrils. You with me? So he's got a physical body, and he's got the breath of God in him. And then it says, and then he became a living soul. Our soul is the uniqueness of, it's where our uniqueness lies. It's, it's us. It's our individuality. It's the, it's the unique design that God has given us. It's made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. But it's you. It's, it's the uniqueness of who you are is your soul. And here's what he says. I'm going to give you life. And, and you're going to have fulfillment in the soul. Now, because we don't use that language of soul very often, we, we maybe kind of miss this. But what he's offering is, if you'll forfeit, if you'll walk away from everything that man deems valuable, you'll find absolute, complete fulfillment, even in the midst of suffering. Even in the loss of everything that man says is important, you will find total and complete fulfillment of selfhood. Right? Think about this, guys. You were designed uniquely to be fulfilled by the person of God and Him alone. And what He says is, in this exchange, you'll you'll have purpose, you'll be fulfilled, you will be fully and completely alive. I'm going to give life, and it's going to bring fulfillment in the soul. I'm moving quickly. Okay. Last thing is, and don't miss this one, He says, this is a reverse 
look at it. It says, for whoever is ashamed of me, now this is verse 38, I skipped a little bit. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes to the glory of his Father. So what he's saying is, if this is offensive to you, walk away. That's what the rich young ruler did, isn't it? It was offensive to his flesh. Everything that Jesus says is offensive to our flesh, isn't it? Because the spirit and the, and the flesh are against one another. Y'all with me? So he says kind of this in opposite terms, but what does it mean? Okay, so if, if he says, if you're ashamed, if, if you're ashamed of what I've said, if you're offended by me, what's the opposite of that? What do we gain if these things don't offend us? We gain eternal friendship with Jesus. I'm not saying that like Sesame Street style. Like, come on. Eternal friendship with Jesus. When he returns with his angels in glory, he will not be ashamed of you. And that's not using like shaming to, to motivate. What he's saying is that the benefit of this, if you'll just deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, then you and I will be linked together for eternity. And when I come again and establish my kingdom on the earth, you will be with me. You will be my friend eternally. It takes a kingdom viewpoint to see that is valuable, but it's valuable. Come on. I want you to think about what that... Come on, I want you to think about what that... That moment... I'm not trying to... I am a kind of a hopeless romantic, and I'm not trying to like, romanticize this at all, but I want you to think about that moment at the return of Jesus when He comes in all of His glory to establish His kingdom on the earth, and He looks at you, and it's approval. And I'm just saying... That moment right there is worth the loss of everything that man says is precious. And he says, that's, that's what eternal friendship with me is. If you'll deny, and sometimes it's going to take, deny the friendship with men, you'll be one of mine. Forever. You know what I mean? This will not benefit you to heed his words in man's standards. But it will give you life, fulfillment, and eternal friendship with Jesus. And I'm just saying that is worth the cost. And he lays that out there. Okay, we're going to try to go to Romans next week. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your offer of life. God, help us to see the value of following you. Help us to see the value of relationship and friendship with you. Help us to be so consumed by your goodness and your love that we would count nothing else as valuable and that we would take up our cross and follow you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, y'all. We'll see you next week. You're dismissed.